Chapter 1. The Timson Experience Perhaps I shouldn't have slammed the boardroom door, but it seemed to be the best way to end the most traumatic time of my life. My career path was clear-cut from an early age. I was born into a family business, which I joined as soon as I left school. At the age of twenty-seven, I was a director of the publicly quoted William Timson Limited, and two years later, in 1972, I felt I had become a fixture on the board. Although the business was facing a few difficulties, our September meeting was quieter than normal. I looked round the table at my fellow directors. There was no hint of controversy and less than the usual level of tension. My father, a straightforward, honest man, was thrust into the chair after his uncle and father had died within three months of each other, without leaving a clear line of succession. Snapping at his heels was his cousin, Geoffrey Noakes, the chief executive. Geoffrey's military background dictated his style of management. Every employee was expected to follow his standing orders. The cousins were complete opposites, neither of them appreciating the other's strengths and never working as a team. My father was comfortable to be the caretaker of the family business and had a strong rapport with the staff, but no passion for ideas. Geoffrey, on the other hand, wanted change. He dreamt of being the top dog, and, to further his ambition, recruited Professor Roland Smith as a non-executive director. Although based at a business school, the professor was developing a new career outside university, offering advice to companies not just through consultancy, but also as a member of their board. He collected a number of directorships, and was later involved in controversy at the House of Fraser and British Aerospace. He was using his professorial platform to promote a climate of change. He certainly had a stronger character than most of the others round the table. Bob Kirkman, a Scottish accountant who had recently been appointed finance director, seemed technically able, very precise and particularly polite, but I wasn't sure whether his loyalty lay with Geoffrey or my father. The personnel director, Bill Simmons, was the oldest man on the board. He'd started as a shop boy and rose up through area management with a tough reputation for strong discipline. He ruled the field staff with a rod of iron. His son, Alan, the men's shoe buyer, was one of three other directors appointed on the same day as I was. The move had been designed to strengthen the business, but in retrospect it made the board too big and drove us into detail rather than strategy. Norman Redfern was responsible for property, Norman was one of Jeffrey's men, working in a property department that preferred to chase new shops in northwestern suburbs like Benchill, Withenshaw, and Belle Vale, Liverpool, rather than have the courage to acquire big city centre shops that the company desperately needed. The last member of the board was Bert Brownhill, another military man who ran the computer department. In those days, appointing an IT director was seen as trendy, but Bert was not a trendy man, being best described as a safe pair of hands. Privilege still reigned supreme at Timpson. Looking back, it's difficult to imagine how different the corporate world was a few decades ago. As in most companies in those days, dining was strictly segregated. Your place in the pecking order was determined by whether you ate in the general canteen or the dining rooms allocated to either the junior and senior executives or the directors. After the board meeting, we sat round a coffee table in the director's dining room, drinking sherry, while a waitress took our order. 
I saw the professor lean across to my father and whisper a quiet remark, but I didn't take much notice. Over lunch, discussion ranged from the high level of inflation to the poor start to Manchester City's season. After dessert, instead of returning to sit in the armchairs for coffee, my father, Geoffrey, and the professor disappeared, leaving me with the other directors who quietly peeled off much earlier than usual. Bob Kirkman, the last to leave, asked whether I could come down to his office in fifteen minutes. As soon as I walked through his office door, I realised that this was not a casual encounter. Bob was sitting with Bill Simmons and Bert Brownhill, and got straight to the point. While we're meeting you, Geoffrey and Roland Smith are seeing...